0: Park Hopping Podcast number 79, A Visit to Yesterland. We lots of important things to say. This is not art. Coming up next in our show, this is not media. First, the news. This is not news. Now, welcome back to the show. This is another crappy podcast production. Celebrating over 12 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet, this is... Another crappy podcast production. You know, now is a great time to book your next virtual vacation to Yesterland, a theme park on the web. Revisit some of the classic Disneyland attractions like the Rocket to the Moon, Motorboat Cruise, or the Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules. They're all operating today at Yesterland.com. It's a fun look at Disneyland park history, and you can even park hop over and check out some Yester Disney World attractions as well. Set aside a few hours today and drop by www.yesterland.com. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 79, the podcast that proves anyone, even me, can have their own podcast. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast, coming to you live and direct from the Interstate Crossroads of America, Des Moines, Iowa, USA. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I basically managed to get an entire episode out just covering some of the feedback I've received recently. Today on the Park Hopping Podcast, I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to have a special guest Werner Weiss, curator of Yesterland, a virtual theme park on the web where all those old Disneyland attractions are collected. This is something I've been planning to do for some time now. In fact, Werner and I originally recorded an interview in early summer 2007, kind of as a proof of concept. So depending on what you folks think, today's discussion could lead to a uh, regular guest segment from Werner right here on the Park Hopping Podcast. So take notes. You will be quizzed later. But before we visit the interview loft, there's a few additional feedback items I wanted to put in here. Rich in Illinois had a few things to contribute about episode 77. He wrote, quote, Your recent show about things some people will never see because of transportation changes was very cool. You are 100% correct. By taking a bus to the Magic Kingdom, you lose all of the excitement and anticipation of entering the Magic Kingdom. Standing at the TTC, you can see the castle. It's right there, but still so far away. My wife and I always drive to the Magic Kingdom parking lot and take the ferry. A nice, relaxing ride with great views all the way around. As the ferry docks at the Magic Kingdom, you start to get a tingle knowing that you will be on Main Street in just a couple of minutes. Going by bus just seems too quick, easy, and you don't get to see all the resorts on the Seven Seas Lagoon. End quote. Rich, I'm really glad it turns out I'm not the only one who values those little arrival memories. He then goes on to contribute his own verisimilitude. He adds... Quote, on a side note, I live near an industrial park with a train track in it. Every day you can hear the engine's horn sound. It's pretty close to the horns on the boats on the Seven Seas Lagoon. I think of it every time I hear those horns. End quote. So I guess we can now count horns to the growing list of mundane things we encounter outside the park, such as diesel fumes, to our growing list of dissensory items. There, desensory. Write that down. That's a new one. And next, a quick bit of audio feedback sent in by Lou, just two hours away in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, he's a podcaster, too, and you know how podcasters who don't put the word crappy in their show title are. These guys usually can't resist a chance to plug their show when they call into someone else's show. So let's see how he does.
1: Hey, sup, Ellen? It's your old buddy Lou here in Omaha, Nebraska, from the oh-so-famous Beyond Main Street videocast at beyondmainstreet.com. Well, hey, I, uh, well, you know, honestly, I've been wanting to get a hold of you, but I just honestly been spacing it off. So, I sent myself a email from work today when I heard that you were in my lovely town of Omaha for the pirate event that was last weekend. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of sad that you didn't let me know you were going to be here, man. Oh, could have came out there and, you know, said sup and met you. Well, if you ever make it back to Omaha again, definitely let me know. I'd love to, uh, try and meet you. Whenever I make it out to Des Moines, I'll be sure and send you an email and let you know. And uh, maybe we could hook up out there. I am listening. have always been listening. Just not very good at getting back to uh, give them feedback. But i um, enjoying the shows. Uh, love the humor, as always. And um, cool. Well, take care. I look forward to what you got coming up next. And uh, maybe we'll bump into you at the parks if we don't bump into you here in the Heartland somewhere. All right. Take care. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
0: See? See what I tell you? I told you there'd be a plug. Ladies and gentlemen, Lou from BeyondMainStreet.com. Anyway, hey Lou, thanks a lot for the audio. I usually get out to Omaha several times each year. I was actually out there twice back in May for two different Renaissance festivals. You should bring your kid out sometime. They may not be as fancy as Disney World, but the lines are shorter and it's way cheaper. We even had a Captain Hook and a Tinkerbell at the Pirate Festival. And you know, Tink was a lot taller in person than I would have imagined. But I digress. Anyway, I'll try to remember to drop you a note next time I'm in port. So thanks to Rich and Lou for taking time to send in some comments. I also heard from Ethan to get more details about how they pulled off a whirlwind three-day weekend visit to Walt Disney World, so maybe we can talk about that on a future episode. And if you'd like to add your own two cents, drop me a note, podcast at disneyfans.com. So now let's get on to our main focus of today's show, Yesterland.com. All right, joining me on the podcast today is a special guest. special guest, would you tell everyone who you are?
2: I'm Werner Weiss, and my website is Yesterland at www.yesterland.com.
0: All right, now Yesterland is one of my all-time favorite Disney fan-related sites. Now for the you out there that may not have heard of Yesterland, can you uh, tell us a bit about what the purpose of your site is?
2: Well, I call it a theme park on the web featuring discontinued Disneyland attractions. The idea is that an awful lot of things aren't at Disneyland anymore. Shops, restaurants, shows, parades. And the nice thing is that Yesterland gives people a chance to to learn about these, to see pictures. In some cases, it's things that they remember from a few years ago, or maybe from many years ago. And in some cases, people are too young and they get to find out what was there maybe even before they were born.
0: Well, it's a fascinating site, one that I've personally spent many, many, far too many hours browsing and learning about. Although it seems like a long time ago when it was brand new, it didn't have nearly as many pages. So how old is Yesterland? When did this thing start?
2: I launched Yesterland in May of 1995. So it's been around for over 13 years now. Really started working on it in 1994 when I got a dial access account, internet dial account, and it came with some web space. And I asked myself um, what could be a fun thing to put out there, and I remembered these old photographs I'd taken of Disneyland, and that was the beginning of it.
0: So you had some old photos from Disneyland. You thought, well, you know, put up some Disney pictures and maybe people will come to your site. Is that, is that literally the inspiration to Yesterland?
2: That's literally the inspiration. Uh, In some ways, the bigger inspiration was that I just wanted to learn what it's like to use the internet, what it's like to put up content on a server, to create a website, because I was in the uh, network technology business, computer network technology. The internet was going to be the next big thing, and I'd better learn as much about it as I could. And this was just one of my little extracurricular activities to try and teach things to myself on my own.
0: Wow, that's that's a pretty amazing way to start. Now, Yesterland... Starting so long ago, I mean, it was not yesterland.com back in 1995, right? It was something else.
2: Yeah, it was the name of a hosting provider and a slash tilde Werner slash yester.html. And that's the way a lot of websites were in those days. Only the very big companies would have their company name .com. And usually those companies had very little content behind those company names, but everybody was dabbling. Everybody was trying to learn how to use the internet. There was no Disneyland site, official Disneyland site, when I launched Yesterland.
0: Do you remember when you actually registered the domain name? It was
2: 1998, but for a long time, all it was was a placeholder. And when you then clicked on Enter Yesterland, you'd be right back at that complex naming convention that the hosting provider had.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's taking me back right there. So, okay, we're talking about 13 years ago. Now, this is before there was a Google or any of that stuff. How did people even find out about a website a decade ago?
2: Well, there were people who had maintained lists, and the Yahoo actually already existed, except in those days it had a stanford.edu URL. It, again, it was just something that some, some people started because they were trying to find things, and they would record as many things as they could find. So people would find me through Yahoo because I registered with them. Then uh, there were these lists, you know, people would put up web pages with big list of Disney links. And I'd make sure I'd find those. There were some primitive search engines already. So I'd find as many other sites as I could. And I'd say, hey, I want you to be aware of my site. Will you post my URL? And people would do so. We'd all post each other's URLs. I had a long list of links in those days, too, that would go to other sites, other Disney sites, especially.
0: Wow, so there was life on the internet before google it's It's kind of hard to imagine today, and so other than getting on these lists how how could you i mean this was before message boards and before any of this stuff going on, how did people even know these lists existed? Where did the Disney people hang out?
2: Well, in a way, there were message boards, but they were the Usenet boards that not the message boards that we think of today, not these special interest special purpose uh, forums that are moderated, but these kind of wild Usenet boards which were usually unmoderated where anybody could post anything and people would get together and discuss a topic, be it Disney parks, Disney movies, or uh, of course there were, there were boards for everything. There were boards where people, and they probably, I think they're all still out there. I just don't ever bother with them anymore. The last time I looked was probably five years ago and they were full of nothing but spam.
0: All right. So you had the equivalent in those days of a message board and the equivalent of maybe a search engine index. And, and that was the, the very beginning. Now, what was the, the first achievement online where you started getting some traction from the community? How did what was the biggest thing back then that you think gave your site a boost in those early days?
2: As soon as I went live, I sent out some emails to some of these sites that maintain lists of cool site of the day, or hot site of the day, or wonderful site of the day, and I really didn't really expect to get listed. But about three days after I sent the emails, I actually got onto one of these, and so that started some traffic going.
0: So it was kind of um, like your your first Web award back then,
2: I suppose. And I used to keep I uh, used to keep track of those, and I would proudly list them on a page that's still out there somewhere. At least some of the bigger ones.
0: And you had uh, some yesterland incident with Netscape, is that right?
2: That's right. I guess I've told you about that when the Netscape browser came out, which was I believe in 1995. They had a, a list of bookmarks that came pre-populated with the browser, so that. They would have major newspapers out there and the the companies, some of the big corporations that had websites out there. For some strange reason, if you went to their bookmark item that it came in the Windows version of the browser and you went to Disney links, it would go to my list of links. So I was getting a couple of thousand hits a day of people who were just coming in off the Netscape browser and then using that as a jumping off point to go to other Disney websites. Strangely enough, the Mac version of the Netscape browser actually went to an official Disney site, but the Windows version didn't.
0: Now, were you a Mac user back then? I was. Oh, so you know how ironic. And since then, Yesterland has kind of gone on to become a like a Disney fan site institution. But what was the very first attraction that you put in Yesterland that you think really got people's attention.
2: I know there was always a lot of discussion about adventures through inner space, even though all I had was a picture of the waiting area. And that's, by the way, why I had to write descriptions. I'd often just have a single picture, so I would describe what would happen beyond that waiting area. But I think that was a biggie.
0: So, adventures through inner space kind of got the ball rolling. How big was your photo collection originally, do you think?
2: I think I had about 12 pictures.
0: Ah, well... How many do you have? <laughs> how many do you have now?
2: I have lost count of how many I have.
0: More more than twelve. A lot more. All right. In now, fact,
2: I'll I'll do pages now where a single page will have over a dozen pictures.
0: Oh wow. Well it's you've come a long way. Now, I, as a someone who runs a Disney site, occasionally get some interesting emails from people who swear that I must be Disney and be able to solve all their problems. Can you think of any bizarre emails you've received by confused site visitors that didn't really know who you were or what you were doing?
2: I've received some email from people who think that Yesterland is about a real physical place that people can visit, and of course it isn't. And I've received other email where people have thought I've been Disney, where they've you know complained about certain Disney policies, especially when there was a boycott of Disney over certain policies uh, a dozen years ago.
0: Now, at what point did you realize that your little experiment to put something up on the web, your little hobby might have turned into something that was was more than just a run of the mill photo blog or whatever we called them back then? What was the turning point, do you think?
2: Now, we didn't have the term blog back then. I think the turning point is when I put a page counter on and realized that I was getting visitors in a in a week in the same week I would have visitors from a hundred country and I would have thousands of visitors on a single day and I was actually really surprised that I had this kind of a reach
0: that's pretty impressive especially you know considering how small the internet community was you know a decade ago
2: well there weren't very many places to go and I guess I was by the uh, scarcity of content that's one of the reasons why people came to my site
0: and and you've been uh, referenced and quoted by some uh, mainstream media type places too haven't you
2: Oh, sure. I'll take the next half hour now to read off that list. (laughs) New York Times, Los Angeles Times. I'll stop right there.
0: Oh, wow. So at, at least somebody out there considers Yesterland to be significant, right? I
2: don't know if they consider it significant. It gives them something to write about.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. I can think of worse things to write about. Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, and so on. Now, it was through your page that I discovered things like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad actually preserved a lot of things from the attraction that it replaced, uh, the nature's wonderland thing, you know, like the name of the mountain, some of the scenes, uh, your site was actually the first time that I I realized and learned that imagineers kind of keep tributes to past attractions when they build new ones. Um, can you talk a little bit about something from say mind train through nature's wonderland that survives today? I mean, what, what type of things do you observe and put into your yesterland?
2: Well, mind train through nature's wonderland, which was a terrific old attraction sort of like a jungle cruise in terms of fake animals and nice scenery but with animals of the american west not with animals of 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 the various jungles of the world anyway within that attraction there was a little town of rainbow ridge that it started from and the little town of rainbow ridge is still part of big thunder mountain there was a a railroad track uh, along the rivers of america and one of the old trains from the Mine Train ride has been used as a prop ever since the Mine Train closed and Big Thunder opened. So there's these little things. That in some cases, they're really just leftovers, but in many cases, as you say, they're tributes.
0: That's really neat. That's a lot of the stuff that I, I've grown to be really used to when I'm reading a Yesterland page is not you know, the the boring statistics of here's when this started and here's what it was. But there's a lot of these little details that creep out in the pages you've put together and uh speaking of things that creep out into the pages i've seen a number of attractions from you know my day visiting the park as an adult in the 90s and beyond that now have pages in in yesterland and that's that's kind of sobering when you ran out of your original pictures in the 60s and 70s and it was just the stuff you remembered that was now at yesterland what what prompted you to keep going forward and expanding yesterland with attractions beyond those times well something that
2: i never expected but i'm really grateful for is that people who visited Yesterland would send emails to me saying, I have pictures of, you know, insert name of attraction here, that I didn't have. And I would have never had things like the motorboat cruise, or for that matter, even the detailed pictures of the Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland, if it hadn't been for the pictures that other people were very kind to send to me. And Alan, you're one of those people. You had pictures that you had put up, digital pictures, some of the very early digital pictures that you put up on your website, um, you made the, you allowed me to use them and I would not otherwise have had interior pictures of, uh, rocket rods, waiting area or the, uh, like magic parade or streetacular, I guess it was that <laughs> only ran for one short summer.
0: Well, I'm glad to be a contributor and, um. You know, if I would have known these photos would go on to be used on a site like yours i I probably would have taken more of them and and paid you know better attention to the things that were going to be going away. but honestly, who would have thought something like light magic or the rocket rods would have gone away as fast as they did?
2: Alan, you'd have taken more of them. I don't think quantity has ever been a problem with your your picture taking
0: <laughs> well, at least I have one thing I could be known for, so let's end this on a uh on an interviewee's choice, what is your all-time favorite Yesterland attraction? The, the one thing that you you think, if you could just bring something back to the real Disneyland, what would that be? Oh,
2: well, since we've been talking about the mine train through Nature's Wonderland, that's the one I'm going to say. It really was a nice attraction. It was an e-ticket in the traditional, original sense of the, attra- uh, of the term e-ticket. Nowadays, people seem to think e-ticket means a really thrilling thrill ride. But originally, e-ticket just meant something that was done on a grand scale. And this one was done on a really grand scale. It took up a big chunk of Frontierland. It had a much bigger footprint than the current Big Thunder uh, Mountain Railroad that replaced it. And replacing it was not the wrong thing for Disney to do. I think that the ride that's there today is is much more popular, draws much bigger numbers, probably pleases crowds a lot more. But it's still a shame that the old attraction was gone. And since this is the closing of the podcast, let me tell you one of the days that I like to close my day at Disneyland if I was there uh, in the summer when the fireworks would go and the mine train ride was operating in the evening, you'd get to the mine train ride about 10 minutes before the fireworks. And you'd ask, is this the train that's going to stop? And they'd say, yes. And you'd take the ride through Beaver Valley and Bear Country, where the where the bears would be scratching their backs on the tree. And then you'd get to a, to an area above the living desert section of the ride, And at that point, the ride, the train, would stop. And in front of you would just be this this dark desert, and then the fireworks would start. And the fireworks would illuminate the sands of the desert. You didn't hear any music from there. It was a completely different experience than being in a crowd on Main Street or in Fantasyland watching exactly the same fireworks. But it was the best way to watch the fireworks. Just you and the few dozen people in your train. And um, that's something that I that's something I'd like to be able to do again. For the most part, a lot of these attractions at Yesterland adventure through inner space. If if it were still around today, people would go, why do they keep this thing around? It's it's uh, so hokey. I don't think a lot of things would not have held up. But that one, I think, would have held up.
0: That sounds really amazing. I wish I could have seen that. But, hey, thanks to your uh, work in building Yesterland for all of us. At least I can virtually visit it. So thanks for what you're doing, and I really look forward to uh, seeing what's going to come next.
2: Okay, I hope you let me come back on your show sometime.
0: Well, we'll see. If uh, folks write in and they say they like you, we'll have you back. So Okay, very good. Thanks a lot, Werner. Thank you. So there you go. Werner Weiss of Yesterland.com gets to be the first ever Park Hopping Podcast interview, and he thought being mentioned on CNN was cool. Now, if you've never seen his site, go take a look. There's some great stuff there, and today it goes well beyond just Disneyland. He has a series of articles about things like Epcot's 25th anniversary or the food and wine events. There's even a series of great side-by-side pictorials showing off some of the original buildings in Hollywood and the recreations Disney has built at Disney's Hollywood Studios Park or the Disney backlot at uh, Disney's California Adventure. In fact, you might just want to add MiceAge.com to your day. Disney sites to check out. For the past two years, Mice Age has been announcing new Yesterland content every week, and there's also the MiceChat.com Yesterland discussion forums if you want to talk about recent Yesterland articles or Disney Park history. So check them out. There's some great fun stuff there. And speaking of checking things out, the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again, except at Yesterland. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 53,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. If you want to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at disneyfans.com. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 79, A Visit to Yesterland. Thanks, Werner, and thank you for listening. Another crappy podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting hmm, podcasts. Would you like to win a 2009 model Toyota Yaris Liftback that gets an EPA-estimated 36 miles per gallon on the highway? You would? Well, then click on over to toyotaliveweb.com and register to win one. But hurry, contest closes October 15th. Read official rules at toyotaliveweb.com.